I did. Okay, I got it. Uh, our God is in very, very much in our joy, in your joy and in my joy. Uh, and one of the major things in the book of Philippians is that there is joy in the gospel. Uh, in fact, some people would say that that is the central theme of the book of Philippians, is that there is joy in the gospel. So I don't know if it's the central theme. I do know it's hugely important, hugely important for us. And uh, and so uh, with that, um, God is invested in our joy. He's um, uh, so, the, so the question I want to raise this morning is, why is it that sometimes we lose our joy? Why is it that if there's joy in the gospel and I'm a follower of Jesus, how is it that me as a pastor, sometimes I can lose my joy? And uh, so I'd like to, to just kind of share a story if I can. This is not a story about anybody in particular, but I'd like to share with you a story, and then I'd like to look at the scriptures together and what the Bible says to us uh, about joy and how we can renew our joy. And uh, uh, there's a guy, we'll just say, we'll say his name is Jack. Uh, Jack didn't really grow up in a religious home. Uh, in fact, uh, he seldom ever stepped in a church. The, the few times that the Jack would go to a church would be maybe on uh, for a funeral, an occasional funeral, or for an occasional wedding. But he really wasn't a church guy. Now, when I say he wasn't a church guy, that doesn't mean he didn't believe in God. I mean, he did believe in God. It's just that he didn't think about God a whole lot. Um, he was a good person, good person, but not, quote-unquote, a religious person. Uh, then one day, uh, Jack, uh, he met a young woman named Emily, uh, who was really, really cute. And uh, this young woman, Emily, she was, uh, she was a, a devoted follower of Jesus. Uh, she was um, uh, and very, very involved in her church. So, so Jack thought, well, you know what? I think I'll start going to church, and maybe that's a way I could make a connection with Emily. And that, that's why Jack first started going uh, to this church. But over time, uh, Jack found that he began to lose his interest in Emily, not that she was a bad girl or anything like that, but he, he just began to lose interest in Emily, but he began to gain more and more interest in the person of Jesus. And then one Sunday morning, it was an Easter Sunday, uh, Pastor Jeff of the church uh, preached a sermon on John chapter 20. And uh, in that message, Jack came, to fa- came face-to-face with several things. Jack came face-to-face with his own unbelief. Uh, he came face-to-face with his own sin, not that he was a terribly bad guy, but he recognized in himself that there was evidence of selfishness and pride and other things. Um, he came to face to face with with his sin and with his need for a savior, and so on that Sunday, on that Easter Sunday, uh, he 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 met Christ in a very very powerful way, and he decided to turn from his sin, and put his hope and his confidence in the person of Jesus. The following week, Jack was baptized, and, and over the next couple of years, Jack just began to, to really grow in his walk with Jesus. He was, just, he was growing like a weed. He would uh, read his Bible. Uh, he would pray. Uh, he was very, very plugged into his church, was there very consistently every Sunday morning. Uh, he was involved in a young adults ministry class in his church that was really helpful for him, really good for him. And he was also meeting with a buddy of his um, for just personal accountability and encouragement in their walks with Jesus. Uh, but somewhere uh, along the way, um, 
probably about three years out, maybe, I don't know, maybe further. But over a period of time, and it was hard for him to really to, to, to pinpoint the time, he began to, um, he just kind of began to feel like his walk with Jesus was turning really, really flat. It was kind of like he'd read his Bible, but as he had read the Bible, it was just kind of like he was just mindlessly saying the words in his head. But he wasn't really engaged with the word and didn't feel like the words were engaged with him. It just felt flat. When he prayed, he just kind of felt like his, his prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. They really weren't going anywhere. Uh, he found that at, um, uh, in worship on Sunday mornings, uh, Pastor Jeff's sermons just didn't feel as powerful to him as they once did. In fact, whenever PJ, as they would call him sometimes, uh, whenever PJ would, would preach, PJ would tell a story that he had already told before. Uh, pastors do that sometimes, okay? I, oh, so I'm told. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, and, and so whenever he would do that, whenever Pastor Jeff would do that, uh, Jack would, it just kind of irritated him, annoyed him. Uh, he also found that, um, you know, in the early days he had loved uh, the worship. He loved how the band would come and, 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 and lead them into God's presence to worship God. But, but lately he just kind of felt like, the worship band really wasn't bringing their A game. Little by little, uh, Jack found himself where, if he were honest, he'd have to say he was more excited about going mountain biking in the afternoon than he was about being in church worshiping God on a Sunday morning. Uh, he began to find himself uh, more and more critical of the church. If other people criticized the church facilities, he did too. If others criticized the church's commitment to missions, he did too. If other people criticized the church for focusing too much on children's ministries, he did too. If others criticized the church for, for t- focusing too much on the poor and needy, he did too. Mostly, Jack just found himself grumbling and sometimes even arguing with himself and occasionally with another person about the church. So what was happening to Jack? And why had he lost his joy in following Jesus? So let me ask a different question. Let me ask a different question. Have you ever felt like in your walk with Jesus, there was a time where everything was was up and to the right? And what I mean by that is that, that every day felt fresh and exciting. Every time you opened your Bible, every time you were in prayer, every time you were in worship, it just felt like you couldn't get enough. Things were just going like really, really well. And then maybe over time, you kind of found yourself maybe not being argumentative or maybe not being critical the way uh, Jack was. But have you ever found yourself in this place where you just kind of felt like you just kind of stalled or plateaued in your walk with Jesus? I'm not talking about, you know, you didn't go back to some kind of, quote, unquote, old behavior that was not holy or healthy. You just kind of felt like everything was flat. It was just kind of going through the motions. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at Philippians chapter 2. And I want us to look at what God's word has to say to people like Jack. And I'd like us to look at what God's word says to you and me. Uh, In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, uh, the scripture says this. It says, therefore, my dear friends, Uh, Therefore, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, 
but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you to will and to act, uh, to will and to act according, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then you will be able to boast on the day of, excuse me, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me pray for us. God, today what we want to do is we want to look at what your word has to say to us about what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, we want to, where we have stalled or where we've plateaued, we want to look at what are the, the things that are going on in our world, our lives, that may be contributing to us or keeping us from taking that next step and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. So three thoughts I want to share with you today, and I'm not going to go long on this. At least I'm, not, I'm going to try not to. But just three really simple thoughts based upon this text, that three life principles that we want to build our lives on. And the first one is this, is that God wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, what the Bible says here in, uh, in, in verse 13, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 12 Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Interesting words. Interesting words. Uh, why did Paul tell the, the church in Philippi, why does he tell us today to work out our salvation? I, I think the best way to, to understand this is, first of all, I think it, it might be wise just to kind of uh, remember what the book of Philippians is about. Uh, the book of Philippians, in some respects, is kind of like a thank you letter. It's kind of like a, a thank you card. That Paul was thanking the Philippians because they were very, very invested in him. They were very, very invested in his ministry. In fact, they had sent a financial gift to him to help him with that ministry on more than one occasion. And they had recently sent one to him while he was waiting to go on trial in Rome. And so in some respects, it was a thank you letter, but it was also a letter of correction. Um, that there were some problems in the church in Philippi. There was a measure of envy and rivalry. Uh, there was some division, not to the same level that you might have seen in the church in Corinth, but there was still division in that church. There were problems. In fact, we see this, uh, we, we see this foreshadowed in some measure in chapter 1 when Paul talks about that there are some who proclaim Christ out of rivalry and envy that they were actually proclaiming the name of Jesus because they were hoping that in doing this that they would cause distress for Paul while he was in prison. And so, and so they were doing all the right things, but they were doing it for all the wrong reasons. Later in chapter 4, Paul's going to speak to two people very, very, um, well, uh, in a very, very direct way. In fact, he calls them out by name, Yodi and Syntyche. And he asked them, hey, please, guys, just get along with each other, you know. Find a way to get along with each other. And, and so there were problems in the church in Philippi. 
And what, what Paul was saying is that the part of these problems were due to, uh, uh, were, were due to, to personal selfishness and were due to, to pride. And the reason I say that is because we see in verse 3 of chapter 2, Paul tells them, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, whether in humility uh, value others above yourselves, not looking only to your own interests, but, to, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. And so what they were having a problem with is that some of the people were doing things out of a sense of selfishness, out of a sense of pride, out of a sense of being focused on their concerns. And folks, this happens all the time in churches. It happens all the time. There are a group of people who feel like we've got to protect what's ours. And so, so you know, they get very concerned, very, very concerned about one aspect of the church and so if someone else is concerned about another aspect of the church, then they feel like it's a competition with one another. It happens in the modern day church. It happened in the ancient church. And the reason it happens in the, the modern church, the reason it happens in our church is because it happens in our hearts. See, all of us have a natural tendency to want to look out for number one or what we are most concerned about. So if I'm a parent with young children, I am really super concerned about children's ministries. If I am a parent with, with teenagers and with, with, with uh, young adults, then I'm very concerned about that ministry. If I am maybe a little bit older, then I'm very concerned about that part of my world. And what we as believers and followers of Jesus need to do is we need to work out our salvation. How? By being, uh, by being humble. Uh, by being uh, other-centered instead of self-centered, by looking out for one another. And what Paul tells them to do is he says this. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says this. uh, Why? Why why does he tell them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? Verse 13. For it, because it's God who works in you, both to will and... And to act in order to fill his good purpose. That the reason that we are to work out our salvation, what Paul's not saying here, Paul's not saying that we're to work for our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift. Okay? It was given to me by God. I did nothing to work for my salvation. I have done nothing to contribute to my salvation. I can't do anything to take, uh, take away from my salvation. But my salvation is a gift from God. The Bible is very clear about this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace, because of God's goodness, because of God's kindness, for it is by grace I have been saved. Through faith. Uh, that This not from myself. It is a gift from God. It's not something I earned for myself through my good works. It was a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So our salvation is a gift. But what God does want us to do is he wants us to work out our salvation. Why? Because it is God who's working in us both to will, meaning to desire, to want. Uh, both to will and to act or to, to work or to do um, according to his good purpose. And so God wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So uh, Warren Wiersbe, he talks a little bit about this. And sometimes people will talk about the Christian life, and they'll talk about it, and I've talked about it this way before, is that sometimes you can look at the Christian life and you think of it as a, a series of ups and downs. 
So we go through these times where we feel like everything's up and to the right, and then we go through these times where we feel like things are kind of maybe going down, or maybe we feel like things are plateaued. But what Wiersbe says is that salvation isn't so much ups and downs as it is ins and outs. See, it's God who's working in us, and it's us who are to work out what God is working in. So we don't work for our salvation, but we do work out our salvation, and we work out our salvation in relationship. That, that we work out our salvation, not just me as a person, as an individual working out my salvation, but it's you and me collectively working out our salvation. Uh, the verb here uh, for work out is in uh, the second person plural, meaning that this is something we do collectively. We do it collectively together. Now, sometimes we like to think about our personal relationship with God, and we should have a personal relationship with God, but we're also supposed to have a collective relationship with God as the church. And what God wants us to do is to work out our salvation. So the question here is, how do we work out our salvation? And and what I'm going to tell you is, by fear and trembling. By fear and trembling. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, you know, what does Paul say? Uh, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. There's something about if there is no fear and there's no trembling, there's no working out or salvation. They are somehow deeply connected. So what are we talking about here about working out our salvation with fear and trembling? And and so the best way for me to explain this is that we're not talking about the fear and trembling you might feel uh, that you might feel if, like, a grizzly bear came crashing into your, your, your front door. You know, if you were attacked by a wild animal, you might be filled with fear. You might be trembling. I would be. I mean, grizzly came after me. That, that'd be scary. That'd be really scary. So the kind of fear and trembling we're talking about here is not like the fear of a wild animal. This is a different kind of fear. In fact, uh, we see the same word here for fear used in Acts 2.43, where Paul was talking, or excuse me, uh, in, in, in Acts 2.43, uh, it's about the church in Jerusalem. Uh, it was written by Luke, and he's talking about what was happening in Jerusalem. And, and what was happening in Luke, Acts chapter 2 that, is that God was working among the people in the church in Jerusalem in such a way that the Bible says that everyone was filled with awe. So the fear and trembling you see in Philippians 2 is the same fear and trembling you see in Acts 2.43. Same words, just translated a little bit differently. Everyone was filled with awe. Why? At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So they, they were filled with awe. They were filled with this, this holy, healthy kind of fear. It's, it's like I said a moment ago. It's not like the fear you might feel if you were attacked by a wild animal. It's more like the fear, and, and this, is, uh, this is me retelling an old story I've shared several times, but I can't think of a better way of t- talking about this. It's the fear I felt when I was climbing Long's Peak as a young man. Uh, Long's Peak, many of you know, is uh, a mountain that's a little over 14,000 feet high. Uh, it's pretty tall. It's the tallest uh, mountain peak in Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, me and a couple of friends of mine, we decided to, to climb Long's Peak. And I remember we were, we were, we'd gotten up above tree line, and we were at this place, they call it the boulder field. And, and we were hiking through the boulder field to this place that's, um, that's called the Keyhole. 
And from a huge distance, it's hard to, to, to gauge how far away you are. Uh, the keyhole looks kind of small. And then you walk, and you walk, and you hike, and you hike, and you hike, and hike, and hike, and you feel like you're not getting any closer. And you just keep hiking mile after mile. And when you get to the keyhole, it is huge. It is enormous. And when you step through the keyhole and you come out, there's a little path that goes up, um, up the rest of the way up, Long's Peak. And that path is probably, I don't know, it's you know, three, four, I don't know, maybe it's seven or eight feet wide. I, I don't remember. Uh, it's wide enough to be a sidewalk. It's wide enough to walk on and feel completely comfortable. Except for the fact that off to your right is a sheer drop off that drops thousands of feet. Suddenly, it doesn't feel wide enough, okay? It doesn't feel wide enough. And, and the fear I felt is not the fear you feel um, for a wild animal. It's the fear you feel knowing that you are very, very small and that the mountain is very, very large. It's the fear you feel when you know that if you don't respect the mountain, if you don't treat the mountain with the honor and respect that the mountain deserves, then if you don't treat it with honor and respect, you will be crushed by, by that lack of respect and honor. And God is not like a wild animal that we need to fear him. But he is like more than a great mountain. See, our God is infinitely greater than Long's Peak. Our God is infinitely greater uh, than, than this planet that we call Earth. Our God is infinitely greater than the solar system. He is infinitely greater than this galaxy we call the Milky Way. He is infinitely greater than this universe filled with billions of galaxies, filled with billions of stars, and he holds it all. Not just in the palm of his hand, but between his thumb and his finger. He holds it all. And where we need to be is we need to be in this place of worship, a holy fear, a holy shaking, trembling in the presence of God. Uh, and when we are in that place of worship, and not just singing a song, but I'm talking about being this place where we are overwhelmed, not necessarily by a tune, but overwhelmed by who God is, then we will work out our salvation. Um, so the first thing I want you to see here is that God wants us to work out our salvation. Second principle is this, is that God wants us to do everything without grumbling and arguing. Uh, a lot of Bible teachers believe, and I, I think so too. It says here in verse, uh, verse 14, uh, Paul says to them, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, why does Paul tell them to do everything without grumbling and arguing? Probably because they were grumbling and arguing, Okay. I mean, he's not telling them to do this for no reason. He's telling them to do this for a reason. When you read through the Old Testament and you get into the book of Exodus and Numbers, over and over, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. God does something really spectacular. The nation of Israel has been in captivity for 400 years. And then what God does is he takes the nation of Israel under the leadership of Moses, and he brings the nation of Israel out. He does these fantastic signs and wonders, these miracles. 
And then he leads the nation of Israel with, with Moses, and he leads them through the Red Sea, and he parts the sea. And then he destroys the armies of Egypt. And you know what the people of Israel do? They complain. They grumble. They complain. They grumble. Oh, you know, we don't have water to drink. We don't have food to eat. We, don't, or we have food, but it's not the kind of food we want. And they grumble. And they complain. And apparently the people, the church in Philippi, they were also, they were kind of struggling with this too. There were some who were grumbling and arguing. If there were some in Exodus and Numbers who were grumbling and arguing with Moses, there were some in Philippi who were also grumbling and arguing. Perhaps with their spiritual leaders, perhaps with one another, perhaps both. So why would the church in Philippi struggle with grumbling and arguing? Why would the nation of Israel struggle with grumbling and arguing? It's because we struggle. See, it's, it's in the heart, our heart, to grumble and argue when we aren't really working out our salvation with that spirit of worship. And so God tells us that he wants us uh, to do everything, everything without uh, worshiping, without, or excuse me, without grumbling, without arguing. He wants us to work out salvation with a sense of worship, but he wants us to, to do everything uh, without grumbling and arguing. And and when the Bible says that God wants us to do everything, it doesn't mean some things. It's not like God saying, I want you to do some things without grumbling and arguing. He's not saying, I don't want you to do most things without grumbling and arguing. He is saying, I want you to do everything, everything without grumbling, without arguing. Third principle, third principle in this text is that God wants us to be powerful witnesses for Christ as we hold firmly to the word of life. Well, where do I see this? Uh, Paul says in verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, when we are working out our salvation, when we are doing everything without grumbling and arguing, then we prove through our lives that we are blameless, pure children of God in a warped and crooked generation. Then we will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You know, I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, I was looking again this morning at the Salina County website. I was looking at uh, the plan, the different stages of, of the reopening uh, of our community and looking at what county health is asking of us. And churches are in uh, stage two. Uh, we're considered a medium risk category uh, for uh, coming together. And at this time, the, the county still hasn't given us permission to come together. Okay? There's been talk about it, but nothing has been published to that effect yet. And so they're still, uh, they're waiting for us to do this. But the thing is, is that when God, or excuse me, when we, uh, when we begin to relax those restrictions for home sheltering, when we are allowed to come together, we're still going to have to be six feet apart, and we're still going to have to wear our mask. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. What's it going to be like? When we have clusters of people in our auditorium, 
spread real far apart, and we're trying to sing Yahweh with mask on. Okay? I heard one pastor say, it's going to suck. All right? Uh, what, what I would say is this, is I'd say, you know what? Worship really isn't about how I experience it. It's about my attitude. And when we have this fantastic attitude and how we come before God to worship him, and when we have this fantastic attitude where we do everything without grumbling and arguing, then we're going to be powerful witnesses for Christ. Why? Because we're going to look entirely different from everyone else around us. They're going to look and they're going to say, how can those people rejoice the way they rejoice? How can those people worship the way they worship? Because, see, our worship isn't focused on our experience. Our worship is focused on this great, uh, this, um, great and awesome God, this, this God, this covenant-keeping God. Remember Jack? Um, Jack's experience of church was flat. His experience of God when he prayed and read the Bible was flat. But he continued to read the Bible, and he continued to pray. He continued to come together with his church on Sundays for worship. Over time, God began to work in Jack's heart. While reading through the Bible, Jack eventually came to Philippians, and he read about how God wants us to be more other-centered than self-centered, how God wants us to be more humble than proud. God wants us to have the attitude of Christ where we joyfully serve others in sacrificial ways. He read about how God wants us to work out our salvation in this way and how God wants us to do all things without grumbling and arguing. And as Jack read these words, and didn't just read them, as he humbly received the word implanted that's able to save our souls, as Jack Humbly received, not just read, but humbly received the word implanted. His heart began to soften. His heart began to soften, and he realized he needed to repent, and he needed to recommit himself to working out his salvation with others. And as Jack began to make these changes, his joy in the gospel was renewed. He wasn't perfect, but he was consistent. And as he was consistent, he saw God change his heart in the months and years that followed. But folks, when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, when we do everything without grumbling and arguing, then we will shine like stars as we hold firmly to the gospel. Let's pray. God, today... Uh, We want to be a people who truly worship you. Uh, God, we want to 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 worship you that that Lord Jesus, we want to worship you. We want to to worship you and we want to to thank you because you humbled yourselves on our account. You emptied yourself of all of your rights as God. By taking on human form. And you became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross for us and 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 god for this reason you have uh, exalted the lord jesus christ so that he is over all things and you've given him the name that's above every name 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And today, God, that's what we want to do. We want to confess you as Lord. We want to praise and we want to worship you, our covenant making, covenant making, our covenant keeping God. In Christ's name, amen.